It absolutely made a difference. It made a difference in how I executed the race. Um, in Australia, there was no flow. I mean, there, there wasn't. And that, it was fine. I still got it done, but there was no flow. Um, and I enjoyed Australia. And I really feel like that period of time between Kona in 2016 and then Ultraman Australia in May of 2017, that like six-month period of time and then immediately following was kind of like the beginning of my spiritual growth. You know, coming off of that six-month period, I knew that I wanted more, more out of life, more out of myself. And, you know, that's when I reached out to you was shortly after that, you know, because I knew, like, you had something that could probably help me get to where I wanted to be. That was Mary Knott, and this is the OB Triathlete Podcast. Hey, hey, you guys, I am super fired up to have us all here together. I'm Jess, I'm your host, and I love the power of this community. I can feel a fire across the globe right now. It's a spark to wake up and reap all the benefits of connecting with our higher intelligence. It's a way of living that you do not turn back from because the ease in which life begins to flow, oh man, it's just too good. It's been my experience that athletes are so incredibly primed for facing up to their spiritual path. I mean, we're already showing ourselves what is possible through our body. So isn't it logical to also pursue this through our mind? I mean, it is to me. And today's guest has been doing just that for over a year now. And she gives us all the details on how it informed her experience on the big island. Mary Knott finished the recent Ultraman World Championships in Hawaii as second place female overall. This three-day, 517 and a half kilometer or 321.6 mile race is fertile ground to unleash your mental game, and that's exactly what Mary did. She was invited to come to the Big Island on account of her impressive resume, which includes being a 27-time Ironman finisher, multi-time Kona qualifier, experienced ultra-distance competitor and crew member, not to mention that she took at least one course record at Ultraman Australia in 2017. On the day after Thanksgiving this year, Mary began her Ultraman World Championship venture with a point-to-point 6.2-mile swim, of which the last two miles was against the current. This was followed up by a challenging 90-mile bike. Day two was a 171.4-mile bike ride with relentless climbing, and she finished it off on day three with a 52.4-mile double marathon in the infamous Hawaiian heat and humidity. We followed her throughout the weekend along with many of you, and I think we can all agree that her execution appeared impeccable. Today, we break it all down, the race, her mental game, her nutrition, and her strategy, working alongside her coach and Ultraman veteran Hilary Biscay, one of the queens behind the super popular Smashfest Queen clothing line and team. In this episode, we dissect the tough times leading into the race, like when she felt booking a flight home and not racing at all was the only logical option. The struggle that she put upon herself on account of her expectations and the performance advantage she has gained since adopting a meditation practice. 
BJ and I met Mary over 10 years ago at Ironman Coeur d'Alene, and we've been following her career ever since. Mary is a three-time YTP guest, so if you haven't tuned into those episodes, check out the show notes for your gateway to listen. If you are interested in dipping your toes into the power of meditation and mindful living, then join M21 Revolution. This community was a revolutionary concept that came to life and is now thriving because the shifts that our members are making are so high vibe that it is creating an unstoppable momentum. Listen, the proof is in the pudding, my friends. So let's just hear from someone who is drinking the life force juice every day ultra-endurance athlete, multi-time Kona finisher, extreme triathlon master, age group champion, and spiritual badass, Mary Knott. Yeah, so, you know, we're all kind of like gathering around the pier and the kayakers are arriving and lining up their boats and I'm just standing there with, with my crew and Chris is in front of me. We're just like facing each other. And another athlete walks by and is like, the water temperature is, and I forget what he said. It was like 83 or something. And I'm in the middle of putting my wetsuit on because it's Ultraman and you wear wetsuits. And it's like, I pause and I look at Chris and I'm like, why is this relevant? And Chris is like, it's not. The water temperature has no bearing on what you're doing. And I was like, okay. And I just like go back to putting on my wetsuit, but I was like, why are we even talking about the water temperature? Like, what? Is, what? <laughs> Where is this coming from? And I just how, like how far how far off is it from the gun going off? I mean, we're like within twenty minutes, probably. Right. And you're probably already in your mindset. Just yeah, just like and I was just like, like the- you know, I know, like I've raced in Ironman Hawaii, and I know you don't wear a wetsuit because it's USAT rules and it's too high of a water temperature. But Ultraman has its own set of rules, and you wear a wetsuit because you're swimming in the ocean for. 10k you're going to be in the ocean from anywhere from you know three to six hours and like they they allow that but I was like in that I I was like why why is this important why do I need to know this and Chris is like it's not you don't need to know this (laughs) so that immediate shift how cool is that yeah it's like you get why are we doing this (laughs) yeah you get pulled away and then it's like no it doesn't matter boom right back into it so you could drop right back in or you got your focus back and yeah yeah, and I was like, did somebody change a rule and I didn't know? Like, am I not supposed to be putting on my wetsuit right now? Because I thought we all were. Does Ultraman have rules like that as far as temperatures, wearing wetsuits, not wearing wetsuits? No, it's just... you can just wear whatever you want. Yeah, because it's Ultraman. Yeah. <laughs> all bets are off. All right, so here we are in Indian Wells. Okay, <laughs> holding you captive in your hotel room. Yes. We brought. We were like, as soon as we heard you were coming, we are like... We've been getting requests to interview you because you are number two in the world for Ultraman right now. And uh, people want to know how, you know, we watched it. We all watched it. And from our view, and we have an active crew member in the room who says, no, she won't be on the, po- on the podcast, but we might pull her in. Mary travels with her crew at all times now. <laughs> That's also what known. you don't know. Yeah. Four hour drives. Yep. I need a crew. I need you to drive me to Indian Wells. Yeah. Second in the world right now for Ultraman. That is just, it's unbelievably impressive, but knowing you, uh, and interviewing you now three times have you've been on the podcast like it's also not surprising <laughs> does it surprise you I mean a little bit only because there were definitely moments in the month that I was in Hawaii that I didn't think I was going to be an official finisher 
let's go right in. Like, what were those? <laughs> First of all, you went three weeks before. Three weeks yeah. or four weeks? I, I went three weeks before the race. So okay. we were there for a month total. All right. And what was it? Why did you do that? What's the decision behind that? Um, mostly because I wanted to be able to train and train on the course and see every single part of the course before I actually had to race on it. And I'm so glad that I did. Um, I asked Hillary because, you know, it, if things had gone differently in my year, I would have raced early in the year, um, been done by June, and I would have had all the time to build up to, you know, Ironman Hawaii, hopefully, which that was the case, um, and then Ultraman. And so if that had happened, I would have gone and stay, you know, gone and, and either trained prior to Ironman or stayed a few extra days and just done a little bit of training on the course then. But just because of the way that things worked out and, and ending up racing Montremblant, um, we just, you know, I needed to recover from Ironman first. And so Hillary was like, you know, in a perfect world, recover from Ironman and then go over three to four weeks ahead of time and just be on the course every day. So that was what we did. And just immerse yourself yeah. in, in really connecting with the island. And Hillary's done, how has she done it more than once? Twice, yeah. She's done it twice. So certainly she could have told you, you know, the, the lay of the land and yeah. things like that. But when she tells you that if yeah. you can get to the island, you go to the island. Yeah, yeah. She was like, you need to bike these courses and you need to know exactly what you're getting into and... I can't, I can't even tell you because had I not done that, I don't think I would have made the cutoff on day two. Like hands down, would not have made the cutoff on day two. Do you know if there was other athletes training there like you were? Did you hook up with anybody while you were there? We, there was another guy we saw um, like pretty regularly. I think he was staying somewhere, you know, close to um, the pier because we would go down and have, you know, dinner or whatever. And we would see him kind of just out hanging out. Um, and then the, you know, as it got closer to the race, more people were showing up and, you know, going out and doing, you know, maybe not seeing the entire course cause you're not going to ride 171 miles a week before the race. Um, but they were checking out different parts of the course. And I think with, you know, just like with, Iron, like with Ironman, like with any endurance challenge that you take on, I think it's really important to stay fluid with things mm -hmm. and, and it's not just at the race, but it's like in your life all the time. And so you had to stay fluid because you were, um, you were in a little bit of an accident that caused you an injury in the spring and you weren't able to race Oceanside and you weren't able to race Ironman Santa Rosa. And so that kind of, well, it, it asked you to stay fluid so that you could come up with another plan that yeah. would still keep you on track with, you know, what your goals were for the year. Cause you knew at that point that you had been accepted into the world championship, yep. but it wasn't what the plan a was, which was yeah. looked good on paper and would allow you to really recover and go into that big block. Mm -hmm. So what is a key thing to just being able to stay fluid with something like that? Because it, for you, that injury was a sacral fracture, which is pretty key, key to have healed, especially when you're talking about going into a double marathon at the end of a three-day <laughs> yeah. endurance event. So how do you stay fluid with that stuff? Um, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, obviously for me personally, is just having that um, trust and belief that A, everything resolves to good and, you know, there's a reason for it. 
Um, and looking back, I actually think that things worked out so much better than if my original plan had, you know, had, had gone to fruition. Um, because in reality, I was so much more rested and recovered and ready to train when I started back up in June than I would have been if I had raced all spring, you know, finished Boulder in June and then taken what a week or 10 days off. I mean, it's the same old story. It's the same, you know, it's, it's the same thing I've been doing for the last, you know, five years. It's just continuing, you know, maybe a short off season, but just right on, right on to the next thing. There would have been no downtime. Yeah. And go ahead. I was going to say your ability to navigate the, yeah. pre- the early part of the season to get through the middle part of the season, have the success you had end up where you are today. Has that always been your belief system? Mm. No. Heidi's well, giving answers about so, over so, so would you have felt resistance? Would oh, you for have, sure. Would you have sure, felt like, sure. why me? This, yeah. this, why is this happening to me? It's, 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 why, why am I not feeling the benefits of all this work that I yeah, put in? For sure. And I, you know, even though like I, I do consider myself a person of faith, like there's always that, there's always been that, you know, sort of trust that everything happens for a reason. But, you know, even then it was like, if something was out of my control, then I was not happy about right. that. It, it was that the, the loss of control that would send me over the edge. So it's the difference in your response is basically mm-hmm. what's happened because in the past I've been the same way my whole life. Like I know everything's for a reason. I know everything always works out. I've never looked back and said, oh, that did not work out well. Yeah. So always knowing that and trusting it, but also having like resistance against it too when yeah. it, because then the control was taken away. And so that's, I think... I think the biggest difference in in what you're describing is is your response, like the your natural automatic feeling to the out of the blue kind mm-hmm. of change. And once again, it shows you that not only does everything work out, but it actually worked out better than you could have planned. Yeah. And so when we take our intellect and we look at the calendar and we count the days and the weeks and we plan it all mm-hmm. out, we're really doing that from this place of data and information. Yeah. And that power that, you know, saw to it that you had the sacral fracture and required you to change your plans is a much higher intelligence that yeah. doesn't use or need data and information. <laughs> doesn't need to, my calendar. There's no Garmin <laughs> setting for that. There's no Garmin <laughs> setting to unveil like the perfection. Yes. And so that's really, really cool that you can see that. I didn't know that, that that actually worked out better than you thought. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So, um, yeah. So staying fluid and uh, getting to the island, what were you going to say? The back to the moments of learning that she had um, brushed upon. You, you were talking about your, the race, like yeah. it was, a, there were some moments. Yeah. Before oh, that's yeah, right. in yes. training. Going back yeah. to where we were. Right. Yeah. yeah. What were the moments yeah. leading? Can you, let's just go into like one experience you had where it was like, I, I, I don't know. I can't do this. Like yeah. when's the next flight out? Do, did you get oh, to that point? Yes. Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That was actually like verbalized out loud at a couple of points, but um so the biggest thing was 
I had expectations that I had to let go of. And um, there were a number of those expectations that all, you know, they, they all kind of like tied into me resisting what was actually happening and unfolding in front of me. And until I let go of those expectations, you know, it was just one struggle after another. And there was, um, I had biked, I was supposed to bike, it wasn't the, the full day two course, but it was like a hundred and let's say 145 miles of it. Um, so I was going to start the first 24 miles. You're on the queen K just riding from, um, Kona to the Waikoloa village turnoff. And then, so I was going to ride from that turnoff the rest of the course. And so I get dropped off. I'm immediately climbing at like an 8% grade and it's climbing for like four hours. Um, and then I descend into Hilo and I'm, you know, I turn and keep going and it's just like rolling hills from there on. And I finished, I ended up, um, the roads are pretty narrow and this truck passed me and I hit a rock that popped up and hit my derailleur and sent it into crash safety mode, which meant that it got locked into my hardest gear and I couldn't shift and I couldn't even like manually move the chain into an easier gear and keep riding. It would like automatically go right back into the hardest gear. And I, I didn't know what was happening. I just knew I couldn't shift my bike. And if I can't have a gear, I can't ride uphill. Um, so I hopped in the van at that point. Um, but I, at that point I had done 90 miles at a 10 mile an hour average. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this math is not adding up. Um, I think, I think for Ultraman to make the 12 hour cutoff on day two, you have to hold it's somewhere between 14 and a half and 15 miles an hour, um, to actually physically make the cutoff time. And I was like, 10 miles an hour is not going to make any cutoff times. Like I'm going to be in Hilo when it's dark. <laughs> like this is not happening. <laughs> so the reality of what you were seeing, right? The reality, the evidence that was showing up from that workout was like 10 miles an hour. Yeah. Now, did you have an expectation of how long that workout was going to take you? No. Um, you know, I was just told to go ride the 145 miles easy. And so I, you know, I was riding comfortably. Um, it was not an easy ride, but I was you know, I wasn't pushing it at that point. Um, but I was like, okay, this is, you know, this is not what I was anticipating. <laughs> and well, that's what I mean. Was there any expectation? Like, so we can have an expectation, yeah. like an expectation can be really obvious, like, oh, I'm going to do this in 15 miles an hour. Oh, or yeah, yeah, yeah. it could just be the expectation that it wasn't going to take you all day. All day. Yeah. Right. So there's still an expectation in there. Yeah. As opposed to that rolling in just from experience to experience. Yeah. And I absolutely had an expectation for race day. I thought, you know, I'm a decent enough cyclist and barring catastrophe, I can ride 171 miles in 12 hours. No problem. And so I didn't have an expectation for that training ride, but I had an expectation for race day. And when I did the training ride, and I saw the reality of what I was up against, I was like, there's no way that this is going to happen. So how did you move through that? Um, did you sit in it for a while? Well, the derailleur locked up, so, so you didn't yeah. go any further than that. That's... I, I, yeah, at that point, I hopped in the car, and um, 
it was late. So the, it, I think it, this must've been a Sunday cause the bike shop closed early. And so I got my bike to the shop first thing the next morning and told the guy what happened. And he goes, Oh, I bet it sent it into crash, crash safety mode. And it's like a super easy fix. He literally just like pushed one button on my DI two and it like went back to normal. So it was fine. And he checked everything out, made sure nothing was bent. Um, yeah, so there, there was that ride and, you know, I sent Hillary a quick text and I was like, yeah, this is what happened. I didn't finish the ride, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't give her a lot of details on like what was really going on into my head yet. So what was going on? Um, how were you, what was the <laughs> feeling of the response? You know, I was afraid of disappointing her mm-hmm. and, um, and not just Hillary, but I didn't want to, I did mostly, I didn't want to disappoint Hillary, but also like my crew hadn't arrived yet. And I was like, they're, they're going to be here in like four days. And like, what if, what if I can't make the cutoff? I don't want to disappoint them. I don't want them to think I came all the way over here. I took off work, you know, I'm away from my family or whatever. And now you, you're not even a finisher. Like, what the hell is this? You know. So I was like, I called my crew the next day, each one of them, and I was like, "Hey guys, here's the situation." <laughs> and every single one of them was like, "Oh, that's fine. That's fine. We don't care. Um, see you on Saturday. That's great. If it takes you 17 hours. Like, whatever. We're gonna have the car stocked with food and water and ice and like whatever, whatever. It's cool. We don't care." Nice. I was like, okay. Nice. All right. We're in it. You're like, <laughs> did you start the shift? Were you like, was there any shift happening because of that feedback? There was. Yeah. Um, I felt a lot better about it, just like having them on board and um, sort of like a relief. Like yeah. Now, like the it's pressure, okay. Not so much pressure on you. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like there, we're, we're in this together. And, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want it to feel like I had led them on in any way, you know, like, oh, you're already here. But now that you're already here, let me tell you what's really going on. You know, mm-hmm. I, I like needed them to be able to make that decision for themselves on, yeah, it's okay. Because mm-hmm. at, at this point, you're really like, you've got the evidence that's saying like, Shh, you're never going to make the bike cut off. <laughs> but is there still that part of you that I know is so strong that's like, I'm going to do this? Yeah. And I mean, I wanted to, I, more than anything, I was like, just really, really wanted to be an official finisher because with Ultraman, you can miss a cutoff. Um, so if, if you miss, if you don't get out of the swim in time, or if you don't make the cutoff on day one or day two, you can keep going. So if I miss the swim, that's fine. I'm no longer a finisher. I'm now our, our participant and I can do every single mile of all three days and I won't be an official finisher but I'll be a participant and I will still have done the work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really, I really wanted to be a finisher. Did it feel like, did you feel like you were aligned to be a finisher? Like you were like, but, but wait, like I can see myself being an official finisher. Yeah. Like I can feel myself being an official finisher. I could, I could. Um, and I think this is like, this is kind of the battle, like, right? Like your heart saying like, wait a minute, but 
it's all worked out so great and look at how far I've come and I'm and I'm here now and the crew doesn't care and and you know Hillary's not going to be disappointed in you yeah. like you're so not somebody that blows stuff off and so you've got you've got that you've got that calling from within that, that higher intelligence that's saying this is no sweat you're going to do this but then you've got all that kind of the battle of the mind where it's like but this isn't adding up yeah so we get those two voices going and then they can kind of make us crazy if we allow them to toggle us back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. And Hillary, you know, I ended up, we, we had several conversations both prior to the race and then also I talked to her every night during the race and she said a couple of things that like, you know, as an athlete, um, to have the reassurance and the validation from your coach, like it was so valuable to me. And one of the things that she said um, when we were talking about day two, because it was still like very unknown, you know, I, I am as fit as anybody there. And if I'm not going to make the bike cut off on day two, there's going to be a lot of people that don't make the bike cut off on day two. Like that's just the reality of the situation. And she said, she said a couple things. She said, get to the finish line, no matter what she said, I don't care how long it takes you just get to the finish line, do the miles. And she said, I have seen you race so many times and I have never seen you not be able to come back from a bonk. So I want you to go as hard as you can on day two. And if you blow up and you have to back off and take in, you know, some extra calories or hydration or whatever, like, so be it, but don't be afraid to go to that line from the beginning. She's like, you just have to, you just have to go all in. And I think hearing that from her gave me the confidence to be able to go all in from the start. Um, because when you look at 171 miles, it's pretty daunting. And, you know, I mean, Australia, I had a fantastic day two ride and was first female off the bike on that day, but there was still a lot of dicking around. Like there was still a lot of like me getting off my bike and like having a snack in the crew van. And like, I mean, like there was a, I, I, I hate to admit it. Like there was a lot of wasted time and, and you broke the course record. And I, bro and I broke the course record <laughs> at the time, but so if you want to just do an ultraman and have a lot of time to dick around, <laughs> go to Australia. <laughs> no. And it, like there, Australia has over 10,000 feet of climbing on day two. So it's like a legit hard course. But that's just the difference in the way that the elevation gain is set up between the two. Australia was very much rolling and super steep. I mean, we had some climbs that were like 18% grades and it, it like to the point where you're like, shit, I don't know if I'm going to tip over right now. Right. Like there's no gears <laughs> like left. Is the, like is the front wheel going to come off? Yeah. The I'm like, oh God. Mm -hmm. um, but Hawaii was more like 8% grade for 30 miles. And you're just like endure, not enduring, but you're. Well, I guess you're. Yeah, like you just have to there. like get in that gear yeah, and just focus, pedal. Yeah. And it's it's a straight road. There's no switchbacks. There's no turns. You're just staring at the same straight line for 30 miles, and you're like, okay, this is. You're gonna be here for a while. <laughs> I'm so glad I've trained my mind. <laughs> yeah. So this present moment awareness on day two of the bike did you have 
any thoughts, any thoughts about the day that you came up short and only got in 90 miles in that training ride? Did that even come into a real oh, awareness? Never. Not never. And there were no thoughts. I mean, it was so similar to Mont Tremblant. It was, I mean, honestly, it was like one of those just like most beautiful race days ever because I literally rode my bike for 171 miles and never thought about anything mm. other than like my crew who I saw every 10 minutes and they were like, eat this, drink this, have this. Is there anything that sounds good? And that's, I mean, that's literally all I'm doing for 171 miles. There was no thoughts. You have a really strong <clears throat> ability to focus. And we talked about this in our first podcast with you, just about how you can focus on something for a long period of time and stay really uh, locked into that. Mm -hmm. But to go back, and I want to get into kind of the breakdown of race day, or race days, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, so you talk to Hillary, you're feeling better. The crew doesn't care. They just want to go to Hawaii and hang out. Yeah. Like they don't care if they're doing it from a van or a, a lounge chair. Was there a time between that that day where you know the derailleur um, went into that mode and the race that you were able to have a, another shot at that day two bike bike ride? Did you get another training shot at it? Um, that was actually my second time on the course. Um, so the first time I rode, I rode from Kona up to the top of the climbs and then back down to Waikoloa. So it was like. I maybe got 75 miles in that day um, with the 30-mile climb kind of in the middle of it. And um, and then I didn't – I wanted to go back and, like, pick up where I had left off and finish the ride. But um, the day that I went to do that, it was, like, pouring down rain and super foggy on the other – you know, between Hilo and Waimea. And um, – you know, I, at that point, Hillary had, had kind of given me, um, carte blanche to kind of like modify my training if I needed to. She was like, Hey, is in the barn. Like you, we, we need to get your head on straight. So whatever that looks like, you know, these are the workouts that are written, but if you need to, you know, change this because you're going to have a breakdown, like, don't worry about it. Like just, right. you know, do what you can. And so there was one day she had said, you know, go back and make up the missing miles. And so we drove and as we like went past Waimea and it got super foggy and there's no bike lanes. I mean, you're like riding with traffic. And I was like, you know what? I was like, I was feeling really calm and now I'm feeling super anxious and I can't get on my bike and expect that traffic's going to see me coming around these corners. And I just, I'm, I don't feel like doing this right now. So we went to Waimea and just like sat in a coffee shop and had some lunch and just kind of hung out for like a while. That's probably the best thing you could have done. So yeah. like everything says go out and do the missing miles because then you'll have them added up and then you'll know you can do it and maybe you can do some more calculations and all of that stuff. But here is Mother Nature coming in and going, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Here's that bigger plan again coming in and saying, no, 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 you're not going to do this. You have to, this is your opportunity to trust your fitness. Yeah. And, you know, when we talk about like what we want to bring into our life and changes or shifts that we want to attract into our lives, sometimes the best thing to do is stop focusing on those things. Stop yeah. thinking about what it is that you want to 
achieve in your life or change in your life or bring into your life, the best thing you can do is walk away because if we get too hyper-focused on it, we continue to, we actually create resistance. Yeah. We, we keep it further from us. And that's why, you know, I really felt like I was resisting, like, I'm going to get these miles done and this is what's on the plan and this is what's going to happen. And it was like, I could have kept resisting and gotten on my bike and like been hit by a car five days before the race starts. Like how smart would that have been? (laughs) Yeah. Well, even just going into it with that kind of attitude, you know, going into it with resistance, it's just going to make everything harder. It's going to suck out so much more energy than it would just go to the coffee shop and just walk away from the training for a few hours, you know, and maybe journal and have a really good coffee and just get away from what it is that you want to uh, be successful at. Yeah. The best thing sometimes you can do is just walk away from it. Stop thinking about it. Yeah. Okay. So the crew arrives and how are you feeling um, when the crew arrives? Like, is the head on now? Is your head starting to yeah. get on straight and things are like you're coming Game over? On. Yeah. By the time they got there, I basically had, you know, gone through everything I needed to work through and had enough conversations with Hillary that, um, you know, I felt like we kind of knew where things were at. And yeah, so whatever was going to be, was going to be. And I think that we don't, a lot of times we don't understand that when we're in that kind of contrast that you were in for a couple of weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're just really in this contrast of the training being hard. And I don't know, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, just in that, those tough times and those challenging times that that is actually the clearing. Like that's yeah. actually that energy moving through you and, and getting out. And then if you can just if you can just stay on board while that's happening, it has to happen for you to move into the cleared. Yes. Right? So yes. all of that cleared out, just like that fog cleared out that day, and then you were clear. Yeah. Like you, didn't, you weren't carrying that anymore, and that needed to go. And I think that's another part of the, the magical plan that came into place, especially being on the island and knowing those energies of the island are really, really strong yeah. that... You know, you're going to have that contrast, but it set you up so perfectly, I think, because it sounds like you were really clear in those days leading into the event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how is the sleep the night before? Um, it was pretty good. I, I, you know, there was during the, the several weeks prior to, there were multiple nights that not back to back, but just kind of randomly here and there that I didn't sleep well. And, um, Two nights before the race, I didn't sleep well. And then the night before the race started, I had a good night's sleep. Um, so I was very happy about that. All right. <laughs> How did you feel waking up on race morning? Um, good. I felt, you know, there was definitely a little bit of jitters, um, but not anything like what I had in Australia. Um, I felt like I could eat breakfast and, you know, stay pretty calm. I mean, everybody knows you meditate now. Mm-hmm. But you weren't meditating with that first ultraman. No. Yeah. So do you feel no. like that played in a little bit as yeah. far as like the foundation from which you were operating? Yeah. Moving into the race and just being able to see that contrast and to to feel and to see when you were clear again and yeah. And the other thing, um, I don't. I'm not sure if I told you this, but. Um, we had Skyped that. We, we Skyped a couple times. Um, I think twice when you were in When I was in Hawaii. Hawaii. But mm-hmm. this, the second time I said to you, I said, one of the things I'm most anxious about is the fact that in Australia, I didn't sleep for five days straight. Mm-hmm. And like, 
like, I feel like I need to sleep. Like that's a lot of time to be awake. And you said, well, your body is, is, you know, feeling tired. I forget exactly what your words were, but basically you said your body might be feeling fatigue and your body might be feeling tired, but you have infinite life source power. Your soul does not need sleep. Your true self does not need rest. Um, so it doesn't really matter if you sleep. And honestly, I was like, that is so true. Like (laughs) you're not your body. I am not my body. Like my body. Yeah. I might be a little tired, but as long as I'm like laying down here with my feet up, like it doesn't really matter if I'm asleep or if I'm just resting. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Sometimes just resting is all you need. And it's like, what are you connecting with? And because you meditate, you're now able to connect with that life force energy, with that higher self, that higher intelligence. I'm, I'm saying a lot of different words for the same thing. Yeah. And that life force energy is what's powering the blood to flow and the breath to flow and the heart to beat and for you to be able to see through your eyes and hear through your ears and all of those things. Like un- what's underneath all that? Does anybody ever contemplate that? What's yeah. underneath all of that? What's underneath all of that is you. Yeah. Is that life force energy and it's unlimited. And it's never tired. Yeah. It, it's like very, like our meditation teacher, like, I don't even know if he sleeps. Like he might hang upside right, down yeah. from the corner <laughs> of this room. Like he just, he just doesn't sleep. Like, and he's like, I don't need sleep. He's up at two in the morning. I think. Yeah. He's just so incredibly yeah. connected with the life force. He's completely not connected with his body other than, um, to care for it in, in what yeah. it, what it needs. It needs food. It, you know, it however, he doesn't train well, right. anywhere, but he yeah. did walk across, he did he walk did across, across the United America. States. Yeah. That is really cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, when he was like yeah, 15 teenager, or something. Yeah, oh gosh, yeah and he so talks about awesome. like when he, this is actually a good segue into my next question, but like he talks about how like he walked out the door, yeah. walked to the end of the driveway, was like, okay, I'll go like left. Forrest Gump. He yeah, just like, like kept walking. Walked to the end of the road and he said when he got to the stop sign at the end of his road, like at the end of his street where his house was, house was and he was like, okay. It's on. Oh my like, gosh! It's real awesome. now. It's real. And he, he didn't have a lot of money, and he just no. Had a and he walked backpack. at night because yeah. of the sun. So he was walking a lot at night, and then ducking sleeping during the day or, or not yeah, and then, resting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and just trusting and trusting just getting. The process. Yeah. So, so when did did you ever have that moment where you're just like, okay, there's no more waiting. It's on. Yeah. Yeah, and I think once I, you know, once I kind of got through. Um, letting go of that expectation, then it was game on. Like, let's just do this. But I definitely had to let go of that first. Mm-hmm. How did you let go of it? Um, meditation. Um, really just sitting in meditation. Just sitting in it. You know, just yeah. sitting and allowing myself to feel all the different emotions, but not... Um, not let them be a factor in the decision-making process. Yeah. So it's keeping a space between the emotions, the feeling, the sensation that you're having and the thoughts about it. Yeah. Because when those two things come together, like they just lock in Yeah. and that's attachment. Yeah. And then those form the expectations and mm-hmm. things like that. And so all of these kind of concerns that you've had that we've talked about so far, none of them have been like... I was just in my breath and I was totally in the present moment and I was having this huge problem. Like all of the fears were always in the future. It was always about what was in the future. So I think that's the greatest thing 
that meditation does as far as mental training is that it trains your mind to be focused on something other than the commentary in your head. Yeah. And if you can get freedom from that and at first, like it's going to suck. And I know you've had meditations like this where you sit down and it's just like, a barrage oh, of yes. thoughts. Like, yeah, right. Yeah, I still have that. I still have that sometimes. I had that the other day because I was really excited about the day. So it was all joy yeah. and it was excitement. But I was like, no, it was like, yeah, like just firing in all these wonderful thoughts. But I'm like, no, and even the wonderful thoughts, I want to continue to create that gap. Yep. And have my focus on something other than that commentary, so I can have that higher, like that stronger relationship with that higher intelligence. Yeah, that says don't get on that plane, or you know, yeah. take a right, or whatever or it may be. Go to the coffee shop and yeah, and bag the go miles. Go to the coffee shop. Yeah, That's was that like space. a good cup of coffee? Yeah, it was. You just like glad you were there. Yeah, and you know what? It turned out to be just the most beautiful experience that we had. So ironically, like, well, not ironically, this wasn't a vacation. Like we didn't go to Hawaii and like ride and run and then like sit on the beach. Like there was no, it felt like there was no downtime. It was like, you're training, you're eating, you're sleeping. Well, you're training, you're eating, you're training, you're eating, you're sleeping. And it was that day after day after day after day. And there was no, there was not any extra time and so that day, um, you know, we sat and had a cup of coffee and just like killed a couple of hours. And then I got on my bike. Um, so from Waimea, you, we, we had a, like a 10 mile descent back to Kauai High, which is where, um, you know, Kauai High is kind of the Northern, Northern, I think Northern, um, Northernmost um, intersection of the Queen K. I don't know if the Queen K runs east or west or north or south. It doesn't okay. matter. It's just data and information. We don't really care. <laughs> but it's that it's that terminus of the Queen K. So um, that descent, um, I did want to practice because it can be a little sketchy with winds and stuff. And I, you know, I hadn't ridden that part before. And so I was like, okay, I'm gonna just I'm gonna get on my bike here in Waimea. I'm gonna ride the 10 miles down to Kauai High, and then I'll hop back in the van. And the rain had stopped um, on that part of the the course. And so I got in, got on my bike, like 20 minutes later, I'm at the bottom of the hill, hop back in the van. And then we just like, on the way back, it, we had a 25 mile drive or 35 mile drive back to Kona. Um, and we're like driving and we, we see this like stand on the side of the road where this local has like coconuts and he's like, busting them open and sticking a straw in there. So we like stopped and got a coconut. Mm. <laughs> We're like drinking coconut water right out of the coconut. <laughs> right. That's exactly what you needed. Yeah. You needed like a, you needed a little bit of a break. A reprieve, from yeah. Like the, just being this, in the mm-hmm. Yeah, the training. Yeah. Yeah. And then we, on the way, you know, farther down the road, um, just past the airport, there's a, a lava tube on the non-ocean side and I've all, I've looked at it a thousand times and thought that would be really like, there's always people there stopped on the side of the road, like taking pictures and looking around. And I, I, I've looked at it a thousand times thinking that would be really cool to go like, check that out. And as we're like getting close to it, I was like, I want to stop and see the lava tube. And so we just like stopped on our way home and just like spent an hour walking around the lava tube and, you know, taking pictures and just like 
being a tourist. <laughs> That's so cool. Not being like you just switched your role. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we, you know, we play all these different roles in our life. And I think as athletes, we get really good at like being the athlete because we've got so much going on and we're juggling so many things. And, and, um, but it's, it's being able to, you know, step away from that role and sometimes unexpectedly and be okay with it and just follow. Like, yeah. I'm going to stop and see this lava tube that yeah. I've gone by so many times and see all these other normal people doing normal people stuff. Like, I just need to do some normal people stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. So let's talk about uh, the race, uh, the swim. Yeah, the swim. I think... Yeah, I yeah. think that's like because right you from said, the start. Of course, my reference point is you. So I'm like, okay, it takes three hours to do a 10K swim. <laughs> yeah, but when you no. said like three to six hours. Yeah. And I know some people didn't make the cutoff um, that day even. So I can't, yeah. I can't even, I can't even imagine being out there for that long. Yeah. So how did it go for you? It went well. Um, I had done the swim once in training and it was terrible. <laughs> um my, I, I was, it was just really rough and we were swimming against a current and, um, there was no buoys. Is this a, it's a yeah. one, one big lap or is it an hour and point back? It's point to point. Point to point. It's point to point. So you swim from, um, Digme Beach, which is where Ironman swim starts. And then you swim 6.2 miles down to Keohoe Bay at the end of Ali'i Drive. And the last, you know, the, the swim is very dependent on the current. So some years you could have a really fast swim if you have a nice tail current. And, um, the only reference that I have is, um, two of the athletes that I know, um, Rob Gray and then Tara Norton have both done this race before. And they were both like 20 to 30 minutes slower than what they've swam in the past. So, um, it was at, you know, the last two miles of the swim, we were swimming against a current and it was just really challenging. Which physically, is like physically an, like an Ironman swim. Like yeah, the, la- <laughs> the last two miles. Yeah. yeah. The, last, the, the Ironman swim portion of Matt, the, yeah, the, Irons, the Ironman the swim portion. Warm up. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So imagine that like an Ironman swim just against the current the whole time. Yeah. Uh, I heard there was one point where you looked at your kayaker and you were like, we're never, I'm never getting done with this. Yeah. When was that? Um, that was about, it was shortly after that two miles to go, Mark, because um, I had stopped. So we stopped um, every 30 minutes to feed. And so, um, you know, the first couple times that I stopped, she was like, you're doing awesome. You're in the top four positions and you're the first female. And then the third time I stopped, she like, didn't give me any information. And at that point I couldn't see anyone else around me in that first, you know, hour. Or so I could see, um, you know, other kayakers like a ways away, but I could see them when I breathed. Um, and she didn't give me any information. So I was like, Oh, I wonder if I'm not first female anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Best not tell her where she is. Yeah. But you were first female. I was, yeah. Yeah, the whole time. Um, the, the, I think it was at the halfway point um, when I stopped, I actually could see the next female behind me. I mean, she was like right behind me. Um, it's illegal to draft in Ultraman, even on the swim. Um, so she wasn't by any means that close. But I could see her there to where like she could easily have passed me and I wouldn't have known it. Um, and then the, my final feed stop, um, I was actually in the process of passing another athlete and that turned out to be me putting myself into the third place position overall, overall. Yeah. 
because there were like boats that were spotting out on the swim course and they were relaying information back to the shore and everybody thought I was in fourth. And then when I came around the final buoy to swim into the bay, um, they were like, oh no, it's, it's not this other athlete, it's Mary. Nice. So what did you take in for food? Um, I used a product called Martin, which is, um, it's from Sweden. And I actually, um, learned about it from the guy that I accrued bad water for. Um, and it's, it comes in a liquid, um, like a packet, you mix it with water, um, also comes in gel form now, but the science behind it is that it doesn't absorb in your stomach. Um, it's encapsulated. So it bypasses the stomach and it's absorbed through the small intestine. So it's like very little risk of GI upset. Um, and there's 320 calories in a bottle, which is like a huge calorie pack. And that's really where you want it to hit because that's where the assimilation of all the nutrients happens Mm -hmm. is in the small intestine. Yeah. So it kind of bypasses the stomach. That's pretty... It's genius. I like that. See? Yeah, I was going to say, why aren't more people using that? The intellect comes in super handy sometimes. (laughs) Well, and I had heard about it years ago because they sponsor um, some professional marathoners like Meb Mm -hmm. um, is sponsored by Martin and there's a few others. So I had had, like seen it in magazines and things like that, but I'd never really read or heard anything about it until I crewed for Ollie and he like shared his wisdom. And so how many, so how many bottles did you take in during that? Swim? Um, I took it, I had four bottles on the boat and I took in about three and a half. Whoa. Yeah. So, so I took in, I took in a full bottle. Um, so like your normal bike bottle. So over a thousand calories you took in yeah. on that swim. Yeah. I had almost 1200. How are you ta- So do you get on your back? Because you, can you touch the boat or not touch the boat? You can't. You can't make forward progress, but you are allowed to touch the boat. Um, but you're, you know, you're in salt water with a wetsuit, so it's pretty easy to float um, with very little treading of water. Um, so I would just like, I literally just pounded the bottle as fast as I could, and tossed it back to her and kept swimming. Very cool. What did you eat before the race? You said you were able to get some food down. Yeah, I had picky oats. Oh yeah. Um, and a couple of bananas. Oh, bananas are the best. Yeah. Not if you're um, Jody from Smash Fest Queen, though. She does not like those. Yeah. And Christina hates jam. bananas, too. She does. <laughs> Christina Cross, <laughs> yeah. Christina Cross, I didn't know she you didn't like Cross bananas. Cross Edgley took in 100 she and... She hates what? bananas. <laughs> she did? I never knew that about her. <laughs> I know. I think it's like so random. How can you not like bananas? <laughs> no. Jody Gilmore doesn't like them either. Do you know Jody? She's on... Yeah. Set. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't like them either. She's always like, could you please make a smoothie without bananas? She's always gagging. She's probably gagging right now hearing me even say the B word. Um, yeah, we were just listening to Ross, Ross, Ross Edgley, Edgley went around the UK. Yes, I just saw Rich Roll did the podcast six, with yeah, him. 649 bananas Yeah, became his fuel. Yeah. Well, one part which of Which is really fuel. about four a day, which is not that much. That's not much. Huh. But still, it's a lot of bananas. All right, let's stop yeah. talking about the bananas for the people that don't <laughs> like bananas. I love them. Okay, so, so, um, so you come off the swim. Now, that's a long-ass swim. To, are you kind of like a little waterlogged or you're just Actually, ready to go? How are you feeling? I felt pretty good, nice. um, which was so nice because that was one thing I learned from Australia. In Australia, I took in four gels and two bottles of water total. So that's like 400 calories. And, you know, cause I knew I was like, oh, you know, I'm hoping to be out of the water in under two hours and 45 minutes. So for, you know, 400 calories, that's plenty. No, it's not plenty. It's not plenty. <laughs> like you're saying, <laughs> it's not plenty. <laughs> so 
so that, you know, in Australia, I came out of the swim and I was so hungry for like two hours on the bike and had no power. And I just, I had a headache. I felt terrible. Mm. So I was like, we are taking in all of the calories. That's awesome <laughs> that you were able to get all that in. It sounds like that stuff is really designed to just bypass any, any gut yeah. like, um, sickness. So, uh, yeah, onto the bike. What does the 90-mile bike look like that day? You still had some climbing. There was a lot of climbing. And um, you like straight out of the gate, you're climbing for like 10 miles. And then maybe not 10, maybe it was like 7, but it doesn't matter. Um, and then you have a little bit of a descent, and then you start climbing again. And it's basically just rolling hills from there on out. And are you taking in that same nutrition or are you, are you switching it up at this point? So I switched. So on the bike, um, I primarily used tailwind, which is, um, still liquid calories, but it's, um, it's like super popular among trail runners. Um, it's very high in electrolytes. And so it was like in one bottle, I had 300 calories and, um, almost a thousand milligrams of sodium. So I was using that as like my primary hydration and calories. And then I would supplement when I could, um, with like picky bars and cliff bars. Nice. And no problems. Mm -mm. No problems nutritionally. Yeah. Yeah. And you felt good coming off the bike that day. Yeah. Um, I mean, thankfully we ended the day with like a 10 K (laughs) downhill. So that allowed me to get over the bad mood that I might have been in prior to that. <laughs> why? <laughs> why are the bad? Why Back the ba- up. Yeah. Why, when did, the, this when did the claws of the bad mood come in? I was just like, get you. I was like, where are these hills coming from? Like, I just didn't remember there being that much climbing. I mean, I had ridden the day two bike course, um, and I was like, I don't remember it being this much climbing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had a very similar experience in the last race I did. Um, I came in from the first loop and I was like, I need to look at the course profile. Cause I feel like that whole last part is downhill. And I remember the race director was like, it's all uphill. I'm like, I didn't feel that at all. I was able to run the whole thing. And the second time I was like climbing, like, Oh my God, I feel like I'm on a totally different course. Yeah. So it's like you, yeah, you forget. So maybe when you wrote that, you were feeling good. <clears throat> now, you come off of that, you're fueling. So you're fueling for the swim, you're fueling for the bike, but you're also fueling for the next day yes. and the next day. So what are you able to get in that night? <clears throat> um, straight off the bike, um, you get in line for massage. And so we had like, you know, we, we knew all this, so we were prepared. And um, the minute I get off my bike, the crew hands me my recovery shake, which is basically just like blended fruit with protein powder and almonds and hemp seeds. Um, so I can just start getting calories in right away. And then I had some noodles and um, some rice and avocados with soy sauce and um, I think part of a muffin. I don't remember. You just have to like keep eating until... Did you eat potatoes? Potatoes like the perfect food. Um, They are. And I don't remember if I ate them or not. Heidi, did she eat potatoes? No, she did not eat potatoes. <laughs> Is she missing anything from her food, food diary, which we will check? So, so little known fact, Heidi um, went through the Culinary Institute of America in New York. So she's... Are yeah. potatoes... The, are, they, are they the perfect food or did I just read some bullshit article about no, they're them? They're supposed to be. I, I can't, they're supposed to like have all the nutrients you need to survive. 
Okay, good, because I just put that in my new cookbook. <laughs> I just put that fact in my new cookbook. So I don't <laughs> the one that just went up to Amazon? Yeah, and there's no bibliography and there's no fact-checking, so there. Just make some pizza and be happy. Um, all right, cool. So y- you get your massage, you get your fruit, you come home, you eat, and then is it, like, right to bed? Is it... Did you shower? Did I'd be you, I mean, wired. obviously you have to shower. Yeah, you wired? We, I'd be wired. Um... We, so we we had to shower prior to massage, so they it's like an outdoor... Um, I love it. I mean, I'm sure you guys have outdoor showers in ocean or in uh, Carlsbad next to the yes. ocean. So you just like rinse off and change clothes, right. uh, which was actually pretty fantastic. Um, oh, yeah. Get out of those. That science project. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then I did take like a real shower and... Um, no ch- chafing, sunburn. No. Unscathed. Unscathed. That is money. Yeah. Yeah. Especially coming from the salt water. Yeah. Swim. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, we were prepared because we, we heard that the showers were not going to be functional at the swim exit. And so um, we we had a little like a camp shower, which mm-hmm. basically you just like put one end in the bucket of water and then the other one is like your shower head. And so I was able to like rinse off when I got out of the swim. Preparation. See, yeah. all these details. details. So important. Yeah. Okay. So day two. <laughs> just the bike you what and the you bike have, you, you and the did bike. you have the oatmeal again for yeah. breakfast yeah that seems to work really well mm-hmm. our athlete Liz uses that running on venti she loves that stuff yeah and then how does day two go what's your mental approach to day two how are you feeling um you know I felt pretty good um my family was when they when I told them that I was invited to Ultraman Worlds um they decided that would be the perfect opportunity for a Hawaiian vacation so my mom and dad and my younger sister with her whole family were there and they met me at the start and finish line every day. And so, um, they were there at the, you know, where we kind of gathered for the start line of day two. And, um, you know, there's just like, there's something really like comforting about having your dad there. Just like, everything's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't have to be nervous. It's fine. <laughs> and what, are, and are they, are they kind of cool and calm with it too? Yeah. Like the, it's just normal. Like I know, I see that with my mom all the time. Like sometimes I'm like, yeah, I just put myself in a lottery for a 50 mile. Or she's like, oh, that's great. So I'm getting really busy at work. I'm like, mom, but kid, and she's yeah. like, it doesn't surprise me. What do you want me to tell you? Like, yeah. you're going to do it. Like we've been doing this for so long. I know. And I, you know, <laughs> I think I'm a little bit guilty of like not sharing a lot of details because, um, I feel like some of the stuff that we do, like my parents would be really like terrified, like this is really unsafe or why do you I need to be out there really biking on? Yeah. It's because just like, they don't need to, they don't need to have all those. Well, and it's just, yeah, exactly. And if it's going to make them fearful, now there's fear around the situation. Right. So and it's it just better be, to, that's yeah. why I always tell people like, be really stingy about who you tell, like you're sick. Like don't put it on Facebook. Yeah. Don't tell people you're not sick because everybody's going to come in and then and that sickness is just going to. Yeah. Start ripping. It's gonna, it's gonna start ripping through the town. Yeah. <laughs> now we get an outbreak. There was, I, when I was lying on the massage table at the end of day one, um, I didn't even know my parents were at the finish line because um, they kind of like I got off my bike and my crew like ushered me down to the shower and into the massage line as quickly as possible, and um, so I'm on the massage table, and my mom comes over to like you know, basically like say great job and see you in the morning and she's like bursts into tears and I was like why are you crying like what's wrong 
And my crew was like, it's fine. She's just really proud of you. Mm. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Happy tears I'm okay with. Like, we don't need, we don't need like crazy tears. <laughs> yeah, it's just, and just being in that environment, I think it gets really real yeah. when people are in the environment. Yeah, they can see like, what's going on. Oh, and they're seeing the other competitors and the people that are, you know, coming back in because they didn't, yeah. they didn't finish it that day. Yeah. Uh, okay, so how does day two go? Um... Did you go all in? Uh, I did. Yeah, Hillary was like, go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go. Yeah, what did, go for it. Yeah. Like, let's go back to that command. That's a little daunting. That, yeah. <laughs> like, just go. <laughs> You're going to have to ride hard. Yeah. You're just going to have to do it. Yeah. And I mean, you were I, at I, peace I, with that? Yeah. I was like, there's no other way. There is no other option. Because me taking it easy or trying to conserve energy for the back half of the race, like, that's not going to get me done in under 12 hours. There is no other option. So you had to take that risk. I had to take that risk. And if I blew up, I blew up. But I wasn't, I wasn't right. going to not take the risk and then be like, oh, well, crap. Now I need a do-over. Right. But the bigger the risk, which is a big risk to be like, okay, just go hard on the bike on day two of an Ultraman. But the, the bigger the risk is like the bigger, bigger the reward. reward. Yeah, exactly. Right? Mm. Like there's, there's, that's always the equation is that the bigger you go, the bigger the other side's yeah. going to be either way. Like, so that's yep. what the whole risk is. You don't know if you're going to go, if you're going to ascend or descend yeah. at the end of the day. And if I had tried and failed, I wouldn't have been disappointed. If I had gone all in and still failed, I would not have been disappointed because I gave it my best effort. Mm -hmm. But if I hadn't tried, then, I mean, that's just, I can't even. That's something that would be really difficult to get. Yeah. yeah. Let's not think about that. No, that's, <laughs> that's a really hard thing, I think, to get over because it's really showing you the truth of where you are in relation to what your goals are. And your yeah. goal was to be an official finisher. So that means then you got to go hard on day two. And you got to go hard to the point where you might blow up. Yep. And you might go hard to the point where you don't make the cutoff, but you're going to finish that ride no matter what it looks like. Yeah. And, and it really shows you if you're willing to go all in for your, for your goal, for your, some people don't like that word. I like the word. I think goal is good. It, it keeps us driving towards yeah. something. Um, I think goals are good to have. I think people get caught up in the attachment to it. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, it's the attachment exactly. that is. If you just have a goal, great. Yeah, yeah, we all have goals, but how much is that attachment? So yeah. being, being a participant, like I want to finish, like mm -hmm. keeping it neutral. This yep. is what happens. Uh, I think that goal piece, when they get so attached, it just yeah. causes suffering. Mm -hmm. causes a lot of suffering that is unneeded. Yeah. Yeah. And that day, it sounds like you were just really focused. Yeah. You were saying, and you know, the, the definition of flow, it sounds like you were in flow. Mm -hmm. The definition of flow is the merging of activity and awareness. Yeah. And it really requires the mind to be trained in order to do that. Because if not, then the mind's just going to be that monkey yeah. swinging in the jungle. And if that monkey is swinging in the jungle, when you're going hard on this huge daunting bike where you, I mean, literally failed in the yeah. weeks leading up to it, it's going to make for a much tougher day. Yeah. It's going to make for um, a lot of energy being expended that you could be using through your body, through channeling that life force, yeah. through your physical body to stay focused and get the work done. Yeah. That's what you needed to do. You That was a job. You had to go out there and do your job that yeah. day. I think... That was so important. I think our audience needs to know you can't base everything on one workout. 
You no. can't base the whole, even if it's a great workout, yeah. good or bad. Good or bad, yeah. It doesn't matter. Race day is so different, but you got, but Jess was saying, you got to show up and do the work. Yeah. So you came into this day two of the bike. Mm-hmm. You came in first place, right? You're, you're entering this bike race first woman, right? No, no, I was in second. You were second woman. Yeah, yes, okay. Tara Norton was in first. Yeah, After, okay. she was amazing. But you weren't far behind. No, I think she had like a 15 minute. To start day minutes. two. Yeah, to start day okay. two. Yeah. Did that play in anything? Did that, did no, that even no, no, like no. approach? No. no. Okay. Good. No. Just focus on yourself. Just yep. focus yeah. on your ride. Yeah. That's huge. All right. That's... So you're hitting this ride. You're hitting 100 and what? 71 miles? Yeah. 170. I think it was like 171.4. <laughs> okay. 171.4. <laughs> it's important. The it point was. Four. The point of cake. Take that Take it. So curious, bring us through the, the, the bike specifically if there were the moment, were there any moments, any moments where you were just packing it up? Never, never, never. Um, no. And honestly, I mean, like I, I wish that there was a way to explain like the feeling of being in that flow when there are no thoughts and there's just, there's no way for me to explain that. You can't explain it, but everybody could achieve it. If yeah. they just started practicing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's just like, it is the most powerful and really the most perfect experience you could ever have. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it feels so powerful to be in the flow? What is, is there something that's like not in that, not interfering in that experience that's allowing for the flow? Um... I don't know what's not interfering, but I will say like you feel, you feel connected with your high, with your true self mm-hmm. and just, you know, this is, this is your purpose. This is what you're doing. Well, I think it's lack of resistance. Too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. That's, you don't have that resistance. So if you yeah. don't have resistance, then you can stay in flow. You can keep yielding. Yeah. And it, that's really, so that's really surrender. Like you surrendered to what you needed to do, to the climbing, to the experiences that you had. You just surrendered to it and you focused and you stayed focused because you've been training your mind now for over a year and what comes of that surrender is power. Yeah. Surrender is not weakness. It's not giving up. It's not waving the white flag and saying, take me captive. Yeah. It's very, very powerful to be in that place of surrender because all you're doing is just yielding to what is. Yep. And it just makes everything so much easier. And you can live a life like this. Yeah. You can live life like this. All right. So, uh, Heidi, um, what were you, what was like the impression that you were getting when, oh, she's coming over. Good. When like you saw her. (laughs) <laughs> she, she has two, opinions on day two. Day two, Here, Hawaii, sit down. Day two Hawaii is not day two Australia. Yeah, because you were in Australia. Yeah, but day two Hawaii, there was a difference in her and how she was, and it didn't click on what it was until you just said flow. It mm. didn't click <laughs> at all. Yeah, but there was. There was. Chris more- and I couldn't stop talking about it. Like there was just something so different and it was so, and you couldn't call it, I think somebody called it determination. I'm like, it's not determination. This is different. Cause the is determination is still you're like, still you're still mm-hmm. like was, driving through that personal will. There yeah. was no force. It was so smooth and effortless and 
very little was said, but yet so much was understood. Does that? Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes a lot so of from sense. A, <laughs> and none of it made sense until just like the last 10 minutes listening to this. From a crew standpoint, is this a point where you're feeding her nutrition, you're helping her out, but is it also a stepping away and letting her, you, you're seeing this, you're seeing her go through this bike ride. It's like, yeah, yeah. But just like let her do it her thing. It kind of was more of a, I felt like a mesh. Mm-hmm. It was very, because we still had to do our thing. We still had to make sure, because you don't know what she's thinking. You don't know what she's going through. You just know that something's different. But you want to make sure, because she still has to get to the end mm-hmm. and she still has yeah. to get through I the next day. I still have to day, eat all the calories. She has to eat, and I was going to. Right. You <laughs> still <laughs> have all the calories, <laughs> which was counted. You still have to do the work. That's yeah. the thing. It's like, even yeah. when you're in flow, you still, still have, have to, to do, do the, the work. work. Yeah. You still, but in the absence of resistance, Everything opens up. All your power opens up. All that muscular power opens up. All that mental power opens up. Everything is now available because nothing is blocking it. Yeah. That's like masterful racing. That's masterful racing. And I could see it from the videos. I was like, oh, she is so, she is so in the zone. Like she is so (laughs) just like in that flow. Like I knew she was just in that flow. I could see it. It was amazing. So how many calories did you end up taking in on the bike? What was it, about 300 an hour? Three to 325, depending on what was going on, yeah. Times how many hours? Um, 10 hours and 45 minutes. Okay. We did back off on the calories. That's like 3,000. Roughly 3,000 calories. (laughs) Yeah, three. Okay, good. It was like 30,000 calories. (laughs) Well, that's why I was like, okay, calculate. Get that calculator out. So like 3,000 calories. And... um, you have a solid food and your liquid mix, right? The tailwind? Yeah. Okay. And so what happened, um, yeah, after that, like what was your dinner like and what were you able to get down to? Don't go too far, Heidi. We might be getting you back on. (laughs) But if you want to lay on the bed, that's okay. (laughs) She's like pointing at the bed. (laughs) She's out. She's down. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I just did my same recovery smoothie at the finish line. And then um, the place... That we stayed. So the second night we stayed up in Javi. So there was like a little restaurant in our hotel. Um, and I just had a, it was like a rice bowl with rice and veggies and um, some, you know, some kind of sauce on there, protein. Mm-hmm. And you slept pretty good that night? Yeah. See, because you weren't, were you not coming off these workouts starving because you were so... Yeah, Topped well off. fed. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important. That's something that I do in my racing too is that like I'm taking stuff in to the end because mm-hmm. I'm thinking about I don't need to come across the finish line completely depleted. Yeah. Like to have yeah. to have like you don't it's beyond mm-hmm. the finish line because beyond the finish line is what's taking me to my next race. So yeah. beyond the finish line is like my recovery which is going to get me back to training and so like yeah. keep fueling keep don't I've never I never never miss those last aid stations. Yeah. Always keep and you the, see the fuel top coming pros in. Doing that too. When you watch Kona and stuff, there's yeah. people going down with that last aid station, grabbing s- yeah. some sort of taking drink it and, in. Yeah, it's not over yet. Yeah, it's not over <laughs> yet. And it's and then as soon as you cross that finish line, it's just beginning. Yeah. Okay, so last day, <laughs> all you had no more bike riding. No more bike riding. Were you excited about that? Uh, I was so excited because I know it. you love your bike. Yeah, um, I do love my bike, but I'm pretty sure. I, I might have sworn that I would never ride my bike again. This is not, 
I did swear that, but um, that's not true. I will ride my bike again. Have you ridden it since? Um, no, I rode. <laughs> I rode the trainer once, um, and then I was going to do an hour ride outside. But actually, my um, the guy who takes care of my bike still had my bike from Hawaii, so um, I took out my commuter bike and just rode on the canal. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> it was so awesome. That's exactly like that was like that cup of coffee that yeah. day. That's exactly what it's you like, need oh, to do. Oh, this is perfect. Yeah, just like I'm a normal person on my normal yeah. commuter bike. Like I could have a bell and a basket on here. <laughs> like this is awesome. <laughs> that's so cool. So, how did you feel waking up for day three? Um. I mean, I was excited. The, the thing about the bike, I love, I love riding my bike, but there's so much unknown as far as like mechanical issues and are you going to have a flat tire and, you know, all this stuff. And I had those in, in training um, while we were there and you just don't, you can't predict when that's going to happen. Um, so when I come off the bike, whether it's Ironman or Ultraman, um, I feel a little bit of home free. You know, I, I knew that no matter what, happened on day three, I could get to the finish line in under 12 hours. Yeah. I've always had such a, I don't know if you have this too, BJ, but such a gratitude getting off the bike. Yes. I'm like, and I would always take a moment of like, thank you. Yeah. I see that protection. I'm off safely. Yeah. And now I'm going to go soak this run up. Yeah. And we had so much good karma. Um, first of all, we had absolutely perfect weather conditions on the bike. Um, on both day one and day two, I mean, we could not have had better weather conditions if you paid Madame Pele. I mean, it was absolutely perfect. Alignment. And my crew helped um, at least four different athletes with various mechanical issues and flats and things like that. And I think just like building that little bit of good karma um, definitely protected me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a cause and effect. Yeah. Yep, the law of cause and effect. So, then so just just a double marathon. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. And we were watching because it we were watching Facebook Live. Yeah, and it was in the dark, like it's super yeah. dark out, and everybody's got lights. And yep, they had the dancers. I think the dancers came out. I can't remember what was that. <laughs> we do a little ceremony in the yeah. morning ceremony. on day three, <laughs> and they yeah. blew like, the conch. Yeah, it wasn't the Irish dancers yep. that <laughs> <laughs> <in the> hotel <laughs> down. <laughs> Wasn't the step dancers that are no. here for the Indian Wells event? But they do no. have a ceremony before, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then it was kind of just—it was kind of low. It was just like, okay, yeah, it's super low key. They Go. do the conch shells, and then we all get in a circle, and um, Jane gives a little blessing, and um, it's just kind of you know you're giving back gratitude for like, yeah, everything. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of love there, and I love the little ceremonies yeah. and the circles, and there's just reverence. Yeah. And I think that we can lose that reverence so much when we're, you know, if, um, I don't know, something gets canceled in a race or something gets changed and stuff, people just lose this, their touch with the, yeah. like holding these experiences with reverence because it doesn't matter if the swim gets canceled or if the water temperature is cold. It's all for you. Yeah. It's all for you to see, to give you that reference point of where you are. And then if you don't like where you are, oh, well, guess what? Now you have this opportunity to go where you want to go. Yeah. But the more and more that we get into this alignment and we're moving from that calm and we're moving from gratitude and we're being in flow, you will see more and more that the weather is perfect, yeah. that you have no trouble on the bike, that everything just continues to line up for you. Because 
it's, we don't have to have so much struggle in our life. Yeah. And struggle comes from, struggle and suffering comes from resisting Mm -hmm. what is. If we looked at everything as an opportunity that it's coming in for us and to just be able to slow down within a moment, which doesn't mean like you're physically slowing down, but you're just experiencing the moment. You get to see what those things are that, that the universe is tasking you with. And when I talk about the universe, I'm talking about your higher intelligence you are the one that's tasking yourself with what it is that's unfolding because you are the one that is creating your reality. Yeah. All the time. Okay. Double marathon. <laughs> Negative split? <laughs> no. <laughs> is that even? It, it's probably just no. like, just go. Yeah. Just go. Yeah, I but mean, like, what was the, what was you the were plan? Just, you were like, you just look like a machine. Like, it was just steady Clicking pacing. Yeah. And it's really, I mean, you just have to run easy. Uh, I just have to run easy. Um, what are you doing with the sensation in your body? Did you have some sensation show up? Oh, yeah. There was a lot of... And I think at one point I was like, gosh, I, there's a lot of swirly energy going on. <laughs> like whoever I was running was just like laughed. <laughs> That's such a light way to look at it though. Because if you're like, I have so much pain in my foot, that yeah. just seems so like dark and daunting. Heavy. But when yeah. you're like, Heavy. I have swirly energy yeah. in all 10 of my toes right yeah. now. It's like, there's like that, there's that lightness about it. Hmm. Yeah. And, um, I mean, so I, I tried, um, my plan was to just get to Kauai High without a pacer, which is like roughly somewhere around 18 miles. Um, and then there's a little stretch. It might be, you know, a mile or two where you come, you finished the descent from Javi and then you make a left-hand turn, you climb and it's super hot in that area. Like there's just it's in a spot where there's just like the landmass covers. So there's no breeze whatsoever. And then you turn onto the queen K, um, to head back to Kona. And I was like, I know I'm going to want somebody there with me in that two mile stretch because like this, this area can be a complete mind fuck if I'm allowed to say that. Um, and so I picked up, um, Chris jumped in to run with me when I got to Kauai high and from there on, they rotated through about every 30 minutes of who was running with me. And, you know, every, everybody's personality is so different and their relationship to me is so different. And so, um, you know, it was like a lot of, a lot of different things going on during the run. (laughs) Was there ever a time where you were just like, just, I need silence. Like, don't talk to me or... Were they, were they kind of feeling you out and gauging that? Yeah. Um, I didn't, I didn't need silence necessarily. Um, I think everybody did a pretty good job of like kind of gauging where I was at and they would, you know, tell me stories or, um, for, for whatever reason, um, when I'm running with Chris, like we just like talk about everything. I mean, like everything, like world problems and um, <laughs> politics and like um, you know relationship drama and like just everything. So um, the miles that I was running with him like went by so quickly. So I think you know, my, my crew can see all of this happening. And so they actually, like, at some point they were like, okay, Chris, you're going to be running a lot more than what you were planning on running. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> like we so just need to put you in there. 
Um, but the funniest thing, um, so Josie was the second person, I think, to, to jump in and run with me after Chris. And so the first time she jumps in, she's like so excited. I mean, her energy is just like, you can't match her energy. Right. Um, and she's so excited. And I'm like, I mean, I realize I'm only like 20 miles in, but it was, it was hard from the start just because of how hard I went on day two. And I think at one point I must've like made a noise. Like, you know, you just like, <laughs> like grunt or whatever as you're running. You're just like, mm-hmm. so I must've like made a noise and sh- like, I saw her reaction. I don't even think I realized I was making noise. And then I see her reaction. I was like, oh, I was like, it's okay. Like this is, this is completely normal. And she was like, oh, okay. And then she like completely snapped out of it and just like started telling me stories. (laughs) (laughs) There was like this moment of like panic on her face. And then she was like, oh, okay, it's fine. Okay, now we're back. And we're back. (laughs) What was I saying? Oh yeah, I got this story. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And she can be a story, like she can be somebody that just tells you stories. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, keep your pace too. Because I feel like if I was running with her, I'd be running a lot faster than I needed to be because her energy is so strong. And I haven't met her in person, only like through her Mm -hmm. videos and stuff, but I can feel it then. I just love her. She's great. Yeah. And um, was there ever a time where, I mean, it seems like you were pretty darn steady. I mean, it just, your execution was so amazing. But when did you really have to just, did you ever have to just completely detach from the body and, and just forge beyond that? I mean, I felt like that was the whole double marathon. <laughs> I mean, there was there was pain and sensation from the beginning. Yeah. And I mean, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Nothing. And how did it go? You were running with some We saw occasionally there were, there were groups of people like yeah. running together. So it was okay on the run to sort of stay with, yeah. with other um, people. And, you know, obviously you're, you're all starting together. And so you kind of just like naturally break up into pace groups. And um, I was very fortunate to run with another girl for like maybe eight or ten miles. Um, and it's just, and we didn't talk a lot, but it was just like, it's nice to just like have someone there and... And doing you know? the same thing, yeah, like doing going the same, the same thing, yeah, same, um, yeah. Sensations just having and... that connection, you don't even have to speak about it, but yeah. it like fulfills a human need. Yeah, to exactly. Connect. It really exactly. does. But for a race that's, my point is, the race that's so long and yeah. has so few participants to see somebody, yeah, is pretty cool. Other, I mean, your support crew is there with yeah. you the whole time, but to see somebody else, I mean, cause, yeah, because the run is a point to point too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So you're not seeing people on the out and back. No. And there was only what 40 people. 40. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and not all 40 small. started the run. There was maybe, I mean, there, I don't know, maybe there was 30 people. Yeah. That did so the say run. 30, yeah. like you're, you're rarely going to see someone. So it's probably kind of nice just to, yeah. to have that connection for a little while. Yeah. So how did the finish line feel? I cried. Oh, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I could just, I could just, you know, that gratitude, those tears of just gratitude and joy. Yeah. And I had done, in training, I had done the last 10 miles, um, like two or three times. And so I just, like, I just knew like every step of that last 10 miles. I knew the scenery. I knew the, the landmarks. I felt like it took me forever to get there on race day, but I was like, it's going to be there waiting. <laughs> <laughs> and then what do you do? It's like you cross the finish line. And then what? Yeah. And then what? Uh, well, I hugged everyone. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, it's, it's just like super low key, you know, they're like, Oh great. You did this like fantastic. Um, so, and they just like move on to the next thing. Right. It's like, which I love. Awesome. I love it too. I love it because too. Because it's done now. It's done. Yeah. Right. We get to talk about it. We get to reflect and we get to share all this great information with people, but it's done now. Yeah. And it's served a purpose and it's still serving a purpose within you. And it's going to continue to serve a purpose like, cause it was so epic and it was so big. Like you're yeah. going to continue to call upon it, whether you know it or not throughout your life, but it's done now. Yeah. It's like move on. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Check. And Mark. that just shows your, your detachment of it. And detachment is not indifference. It doesn't mean you don't care about it. It doesn't yeah. mean that you don't hold it in reverence or that that experience isn't something that, you know, that you'll remember for the rest of your life. It just means that you're not wishing um, that it wasn't over, that you yeah. that you aren't wishing that you're still back there, that you aren't yeah. like you're just... Or I, had, I, I didn't wish that it had gone differently. You know, it was right. just like, this was good. Yeah, I mean, it's it seemed to us watching and listening to the crew that the execution was just perfection. Would you agree? Um, I'm glad my crew said that. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, just yeah, like what? Yeah, I mean, videos I could just pick that up. That yeah, everything looked. Yeah, there was. Smooth. It was. It was very smooth. I mean, yeah, they I, did a I mean, fantastic job. At the end of the day. I hate the line, it is what it is, but, like, that's what's happening. Yeah. Right, it is what it is. What's happening now is what's happening now, and that's what it's supposed to happen like, so... Yeah. It's fine, whether it's 20-minute mile or a 10-minute mile, it's still fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you still got it done. Yeah. What do you think the biggest difference was between your experience in Ultraman not meditating and your experience to this Ultraman meditating and do you even feel like that made a difference? Um, it absolutely made a difference. It made a difference in how I executed the race. Um, in Australia, there was no flow. I mean, there, there wasn't. And that, it was fine. I still got it done. But there was no flow. Um, and I enjoyed Australia. And I really feel like... That period of time between Kona in 2016 and then Ultraman Australia in May of 2017, that like six month period of time and then immediately following was kind of like the beginning of my spiritual growth. You know, coming off of that six month period, I knew that I wanted more, more out of life, more out of myself. And, you know, that's when I reached out to you was shortly after that, you know, because I knew like you had something that could probably help me get to where I wanted to be. And did it? Yeah, absolutely. But it's only because you've done the work. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. What, um, what did you learn about, what did you learn about yourself this time around? Um, that's a really good question. <laughs> I think I learned, um, well, number one, I still haven't found my limits. Um, before the race, when I was really going through a lot of struggle, I was like, I can't remember my why I can't remember 
I don't remember why I'm here. I don't remember why I wanted to do this. Like, I can't remember my why. My why. And it felt really important to me. It's not really important. But it, in the moment, it felt important to me because I thought, if I don't know my why, how am I going to get through race day when things get tough? Because in Australia, knowing my why was what got me from the start line to the finish line every day. And there, I, I forget, somebody had posted something on Instagram and a friend of mine um, was like, why are you doing this? You know, like, why are you, why are you doing this? And it wasn't in response to my struggle. It was just like, oh my gosh, like this is, this seems unrealistic. Like, why are you doing this? And I was like, oh, because I haven't found my limits yet. I was like, oh, okay, well, there's a why. <laughs> there's one. a big why. There, there's a big why. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that, um, I also think now I don't, I don't need a why. Like, sometimes just wanting to do something, even if it seems crazy or um, maybe out of reach, sometimes that's enough. And if you can get into the flow state, then it doesn't matter why, because you're not thinking about why. I didn't think about why during Ultraman Hawaii. It didn't matter. I was just doing the work. You were just in the experience. Yeah. Yeah. And when you have to like, yeah, I mean, I I think that's, that's really profound what you just said, because this community you know, the, the endurance community is really that, that concept of like knowing your why is really important. And I think it's really important at a stage. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I can't tell you what my why is other than I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I'm, I'm living my purpose every day. Yeah. And part of that purpose is now getting on the trails and, and yeah. doing some races and, I don't need to pull upon my why because I'm so steeped in the experience and being so grateful for it all. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, my feet are on fire. Like my body That's is amazing. working. That's so amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and um, that you're just, you're steeped in the experience. And I think that's the difference is that you don't need to pull upon anything to keep you going because the moment that you're in is enough. It is. Yeah. It's complete. Yeah, I think the why... Why serves a purpose for a lot of people? Yeah, I think it serves for in this stage. conversation with the people around in this room. The why is not always yeah needed to be there. It's 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 an entry point, and yeah. when people don't have they don't have that strong will and resolve to show up and do the work, if they're continuing to have those excuses or or find those outs or or listen to the thoughts, which it sounds like you're not listening to anymore. You're noticing them, but you're not listening to them. When you, when you get to that phase, all the other stuff really doesn't matter. And you just show up and do the work because you know, you have a confidence. And and I wanted to express this um, scenario where I was so lucky enough to spend time with you and Ironman Mount Tremblant Mm -hmm. and just being in your presence it didn't matter if we talked because there were times where we didn't even talk at all we were just sitting there just in the presence but and I think I told Jess or I had called Jess and was telling her just like you just feel this presence of Mary and you just like what isn't possible 
Yeah. Because of your calmness and confidence of everything that you're doing, of showing up and doing the work, there's no surprise to me that you came in second place at Ironman World Championship. There's no surprise to me of what what you're next going to achieve. There's there, there's no sh- surprises anymore. I mean, there's still amazing accomplishments yeah. that you're going to have. But it's not a surprise because the confidence and belief in yourself supersedes yeah. anything, any why, any compliment, anything people can say to you. If you have that inside in you yeah. and you're one with it, nothing else matters. Yep. And when I was in when I was in Mount Tremblant, something, you know, I just I, I took a piece of you. I for sure. Yeah. So thank you. I took a, I took a little piece <laughs> and it's it's now propelled me forward. Yeah. So whatever it is you're doing, you don't have to know why. Just keep doing it. Yeah. The one thing we didn't touch upon, and then, um, and then I think we should wrap this up. And then I'm thinking maybe we'll do. We I know we wanted to talk about the whole crew thing. Yeah. And if you guys have time, we'll do that as a Patreon sure. extra. Yeah. And we'll put that up for our Patreon supporters because that seems like a really, really cool information. Yeah. But to get back to the logistics of things, because we did talk about nutrition for all the legs, except for we didn't talk oh, about run. what you took mm-hmm. in for the run. Yeah. Um, so the plan was, um, I was pretty comfortable running on either Tailwind or Martin. Um, so I was like, we'll just have both available and whatever I feel like we'll go with. And so I started with Tailwind and for some reason it just like, I, I didn't feel like I was absorbing it. Um, pretty early on, I was like feeling hungry. Um, not, not hungry, but like bloated, but not like I wasn't getting energy. And so I said to Chris, I don't, I think I, I might've said we need to, I don't remember what I said to him, but I, I, something along the lines of, I need to stop and walk and see if I can absorb, or I need to try to take in some solid food or something. Like it just wasn't moving out of my stomach. And, um, he was like, okay, yeah, no problem. So he gets back in the crew vehicle. They jump ahead a half a mile. I keep running. And like, just having said that and verbalized, this is what needs to happen. By the time I got to him three to five minutes later, my stomach had emptied. And I was like, I feel hungry now. So why don't we just switch to Martin? Like everything's fine now. (laughs) He's like, Oh, okay. Everything's fine now. So he handed me the Martin. So we switched to Martin, stayed with that the rest of the time. I took in, um, some bananas. I had, um, a couple Martin gels. Um, I had a little bit of Coke, um, later on, um, Heidi made me this, um, espresso bomb, which was like, yeah, I saw that it was like via powder from Starbucks mixed with like literally a shot glass of water. So it was like taking a shot of espresso. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I did that a few times. It was pretty amazing. And then, um, I did have some Pringles like in the last half marathon, just cause I was like feeling a little bit hungry, but also like I was getting dehydrated and I wanted the salt. So you, and I think at one check you were saying like, she got in like 300 calories or something Mm -hmm. in an hour on the run. I mean, that's a lot of calories to be taking in, but I think what happened and all of this is just like scientific equations, right? What happened when you had that 
though your belly was bloating and stuff, is that you, instead of staying in the energy about how you were feeling, you switched into that solution energy yeah. of, okay, this is what we need to do. Yeah. So then you got into the solution energy and then guess what happens? The solution just follows. Yeah. Like it just, and that's flow. Yeah. That's flow. Like you don't really have to be hammering a whole bunch of stuff on all these different topics and the way you feel. It's like, get into that solution energy get in touch with what it is that you need and then that will be provided. Yeah. All right. Anything, All right. anything else? No. I think we've covered it all. All right. How people get a hold of you? How can they find you? Um, You're still finding Kona? I'm still finding Kona on Instagram. Um, I don't think I have a Twitter account anymore because honestly, I never used it. So it's like gone. Um. <laughs> oh, and they can read about didn't you, your blogging. Yeah, so I have my blog, which is findingkona.blogspot.com. And then I just did an interview um, by my Team SFQ sisters on the Smashfest Diaries. So that's smashfestqueen.com. And at the top, you can click on Smashfest Diaries and read that. Perfect. And we'll put all that stuff in the show notes, too. All right, awesome. awesome. We're going to click off of here, and then we're going to click back on, and we're going to do a Patreon extra. Three-time guest, Mary Nott. That's awesome. I love it. So what did you guys think? Masterful, right? Did you know that every single one of us has that same potential to realize our inner power? I'm serious. This isn't woo-woo talk. This is the real deal. And I think Mary is someone who continues to bring meditation to the forefront for athletes to get curious about. She is combining her spiritual and physical selves so skillfully And that is really what is creating her epic race executions. Because we have to tend to the details. We need to know the lay of the land. It's important to gather and analyze the data and information. But when we then bring detachment, letting go, and presence to the table, we have the makings of an unstoppable spiritual being having a human experience. And it is so much freaking fun. So thanks so much for tuning in. And if you want more, then let me just tell you that we don't have just one, but we have two Patreon extras with Mary going on the site this week. Look for the first one at the end of this week and the second one next week. We dive into her amazing crew, Dan, Heidi, Chris, and Josie, how she chose them, and also shares tips and important factors to take into consideration when picking a crew. In the second extra, Mary lets us in on what's next for her. So that's it for this week. If you're interested in joining Team Yogi Triathlete, we do have a few spots open on the team, so shoot us an email at yogitriathlete at gmail.com. And let's get the convo started. Booking a high vibe retreat is another way to immerse yourself in the awake and ready life. Right now, we have dates in January and February only. December and March are booked. So don't delay as we continue to build the offerings. I'm realizing that the current price of $7.50 per person is a total steal. So grab it while it lasts uh, because there's only more amazing things coming for these retreats, possibly opening them up to more people at one time and looking at other locations than Carlsbad in the future. So stay tuned. There is so much momentum happening here at Yogi Triathlete. We thank you for your support. If you are local to North County, I'm fired up to announce 
that I will be teaching the Tuesday 5.30 breath and movement class at Yoga Bound starting at the beginning of the year. So if you've never been to that studio before, let me know, shoot me an email, and you can come and be my guest. But I feel like there's going to be some really good energy around this Tuesday 5.30. They said they needed a strong teacher, and guess who they thought of? (laughs) I'm so psyched. We are so grateful to you all, and we get lots of messages about how you are applying the teachings from this podcast in your own life. We'd love to hear more, so keep those messages coming. 2019 is right around the corner, and the new year is always a beautiful time to experience the death of something that no longer serves you to open yourself up to what it is that you wish to bring into your life. We are worthy of all of our dreams, because when we relentlessly pursue what we love, the evidence will show up. This is not a theory, this is science. Apply the equation skillfully and you too will be in the know.